0: welcome to sound and vision conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process here's the
1: host of sound and vision brian alfred And works in New Jersey and Brooklyn. He got his BA from the University of Maryland and his MFA from CalArts. He's shown at 11R, Feature, The Suburban, Minus Space, Jeffrey Young, and Rona Hoffman, just to name a few venues. He's received the Marie Walsh Sharp Foundation residency and is a NYFA Painting Fellow. His work has been reviewed in Art Critical, Hyperallergic, The Observer, and The New York Times, amongst many other publications. I sat down with Doug at 11R Gallery, where his show was just about to close. We talk about East versus West Coast, studio setups, and a lot about painting. Here's our conversation. So, yeah, let's get into this, the show that uh, just closed, I guess, sadly, after yeah. a um, nice run. What was uh, what was the experience like? How was your um uh, the reception yeah. for it?
0: I think it was great, you know, I um, I got lots of great feedback, and I think for me, it was nice having the gestural paintings with the hard edge paintings for the first time, having them in a space um, together um, was a nice experience for me.
1: In, and you mean, like, combined in a painting, too, yeah. because had, had you shown them separately? Like I'd had-
0: only shown them separately, right? So, like, I yeah. had shows of the hard edge paintings, and then I did a show with 11R um, of gestural paintings two years ago, but this is the first time that I had shown both types of work in the same space.
1: And were the, the gesture paintings that you started, that was a few years ago, right? Yeah. When yes. you started doing just like kind of raw gesture, right. gestural marks. Yeah. Is that the first time that you've really worked that way, or did you used to work that way back in no, school days? it was the first
0: time. The first I mean, time. I had... Some things had been coming into my mind, um, making the hard-edge paintings um, in relationship to gestural paintings for a while. And so, sort of like just one of those things that eventually I, you know, set out and made one painting. And, you know, I guess I I worked on some things over a period of time that just never really translated the way that I wanted them to, you know? like. How we do that sometimes like we experiment sort of in the studio that are like side things and um, so i'd been thinking about it for a long time um, alongside while i was making the 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 hard edge paintings but eventually made a painting that i thought was exactly what i was hoping you know or looking for in terms of like you know um, a, a way of like realizing the painting yeah and then after that happened i started focusing on gestural paintings um i would say almost two years solely like I sort of stopped making the hard edge paintings. Um, not because I didn't want to make hard edge paintings anymore. It was just sort of like I found myself needing to really focus on the gestural paintings in order to kind of make, make them. Like I felt like a little torn working on both of them at the same time. Yeah. And I still feel a little bit like that. Like if if I'm making work, I try to make like a, a number of gestural paintings at the same time and then switch over to the hard edge paintings because the process is so different.
1: Yeah. Do people, or did people react to these paintings, the gesture in them, in a really, um, I, I noticed that if you loosen up sometimes after working kind of crisp or like with a hard edge, like people really make a big deal about it, and they're like, oh man, this is like, Really emotional, or you're really like letting loose, you know. Whereas I think in the studio, it's not quite as big of a deal because it's a slow, pro- it's a process into it, you know. Right. But like, you just wake up one morning, go into the studio, and bust out like an abstract expressionist Franz Klein action on your painting, you know. So were people were more, how was the reaction to that, or was it more measured? Because ultimately, I, that matters the way yeah. people are responding. To I it. think when I
0: did the last show. Uh, at 11R of gestural only gestural paintings I got a lot of that then and then of course what are you
1: doing this is so different that sort of thing
0: yeah like some and I think people were sort of some people immediately made the connection Mm -hmm. you know um, and really didn't see that much of a difference in terms of like like it made very it made sense to them they saw it as like a a, a logical trajectory but then I think other people were more like what you're suggesting you know what are you doing you know yeah. this is nuts they're so loose and kind of like gestural
1: so <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> was that a good or a bad I mean how did you feel about it I mean it's sort of like the same question of or like when someone says like how long does it take you to make that yeah you but know like, it's like it's just a natural question that people just feel compelled to ask and I think as an artist you're always sort of like oh well you know it's a long time yeah <laughs> it takes a while to make moment. them
1: there's, like, the ten questions that people will ask yeah. you. And it's almost like when you go see music and um, someone will go up after the show and be like, hey, what kind of guitar is that? Or what kind of pedals do you use? Or what kind of program? You know, it's like that's right. that entry-level question about yeah. the work.
0: But, you know, I make, I ask the same kind of questions, too. Um it's usually it's more to get at something else, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I do think that they're – I mean, I, I feel like in some ways the question is a little bit like um, – you know, you know the answer mm-hmm. when you ask the question. Yeah. Like it's obvious. It takes a long time. Right. I mean, yeah, how yeah. could I do this fast it, if it wasn't it printed? That, yeah, it takes that <laughs>
1: long. Like just look at it. Yeah. yeah.
0: So um, um, I wish people like would spend as much time looking. Yeah. <laughs> as I did making, but you right. know, obviously that's never gonna happen. That's a lot to ask. Yeah. Yeah. It is.
1: It's funny because still to this day, I've done this my whole life. But when I walk up to a painting, one of the first things I do is go to the side of it.
0: Oh yeah. just to mm-hmm. see. Totally.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, that's standard canvas. Oh, that's painted. Oh, and yours are obviously way different than most, which is really interesting. But it's so like you don't even have to go around to the side to see what's going on to know that there's a whole bunch of information going on. But Yeah, and I think,
0: like, right when – think at least as painters, like, maybe when we do that, it's a little bit of, like, superimposing our own process yeah. or practice onto what we're looking at. You Definitely, know? yeah. Um, there's, like, a weird kind of, like, performative aspect in looking for – At least that I I can say personally, like, as a painter, like, where I I think I do that or I catch myself doing that or, like, you know, layering my own practice onto whatever I'm looking at, you know?
1: It's natural. Yeah. It's like a car designer getting into a car. Probably. They're going to feel and drive that thing in a totally different way than, like, if I just hop in a new car and, oh, this is great, you know? They're getting in there and be like, well, handling is a little, you know? So, yeah, that's what I remember seeing um, some German, there were a couple, like, like, Luke Toyman's and uh, Neil Roush and, like, people like that. And seeing some of the – there was a – on the side, they would tack in these little tacks to hold the canvas. And I found that so mesmerizing because I just never had done that before. And it seemed like a really old-school way to do it. Right. There's something really beautiful about that process.
0: I just assumed they were, like, pre-made like made stretchers, you know, like, that they bought them that way. Oh, really? I don't know. I just felt that way because that just seemed, like, a little bit too, like – um time consuming in a way that's true how could you stretch it like that tight with those things in the side i know right but maybe not i never i just i I guess i always assume that like if you go to like europe or something that that that's they might they might pre-make them that way like high end
1: yeah handcrafted yeah i see i just i pictured this gigantic studio because it's always a huge studio and the paintings are usually pretty big. Right. And then tons of assistants. And then there's, like, the assistants who just make them and yeah. are sitting over Stretching. there, tack, cobbling Stretching, doing, doing things that we would never want. We don't really want to do. Right, like exactly. The most tedious parts of making a painting. Cobbling tacks to stretch a canvas. Yeah. So the, uh, well, speaking of the outsides, the outside of these are pretty different. What was the, uh, or at least, especially, like, these notched ones? Had you done that before? No.
0: Yeah, these, This is the first time. I mean, I guess in some ways it was... Um, experiment's not really the right word I, you know in the hard edge paintings I always felt like there's there a figurative aspect to them mm-hmm. and so I'm constantly trying to find ways to move back and forth between the two types of painting and yeah. so I like the idea of having the framed the, the, the shaped frame as a way of like introducing a more figurative aspect into the work yeah you know um, into, into like a re- yeah. totally non-representational space you know yeah. like suggestive in a way um, I guess the same way that I see the the, the more figurative space within the the geometry yeah um, so yeah I think that was my my real interest in in, in not in, in shape in making them you know have the cutouts
1: right and in talking about the work when we talked last it was really interesting to hear the face kind of relate because I'd never seen that before yeah. the figurative sort of relationship to like a portrait or a right. face
0: and then thinking about the frame as like the outside of that and, Yeah, and portraiture. it was funny when that came up because I really didn't, I had no idea that people really did not um see ever see that only yeah. because i that when you know when you do something and there's an intentionality behind it you just kind of make this assumption as an artist i think that everyone's going to see that yeah um and i so it's hard for me to separate the two yeah. you know um and i've always looked at them in relationship to like uh i guess like a a, a figurative space mm-hmm. um at least the hard edge ones right so um yeah
1: well, in the aspect ratio, you know, the having them that way kind of implies that to an extent. Yeah. Because they're not just square or landscape. Having that sort of right. portrait dimension to it feels, or at least it feels bodily. You know, yeah. it feels like our shape and right.
0: Way, you know. And the initial ones that I first made were almost like portrait-sized paintings anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, really like trying to make yeah, a painting were. like yeah. the size of your head. Right. Um, so sort of like you know like a mask space or something like that or like a cruciform or you know one of those kinds of things um yeah
1: when you go to or museums are you really interested in the frames and
0: like how i am now you know especially if you go to the met yeah you know because you really don't you really i think sometimes we we focus in on the painting sometimes first, you know, but like there's so much history behind the framing Um, and I spent a lot of time last year going to the Met and just looking through the different collections and how much the frames, you know, inform the paintings historically over the years, you know. Um, So yeah, I do definitely consider it. um, It's such a huge historical part of just, I'm in
1: a lot of things, but in painting... You know, the the iconography of painting that has been almost completely erased from contemporary practice. Well, you know, it it
0: was at one point, right, where they just kind of eliminated the frame totally. You you just didn't think about it. It was like signing your work. Right.
1: They were just things that you learned in school or you maybe did an intro to painting that at some point you were like no no someone told you it's really not cool to sign your painting right <laughs> do it on the back right and then it, you just you went with it you yeah. didn't question it you were like oh yeah 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 no yeah. frames no no signing and it's funny how you know if you do enter that arena it's kind of open you know what i mean like you're doing a lot of things that i think a lot of people aren't even addressing in their work which is really
0: interesting and, you know, I, it's funny, too, because a lot of people don't realize that there are frames on them. They, I think they just make the assumption that it's like a painting that thing. is like end to end kind of thing. Like yeah. the sides are painted and often they don't realize it until they get right up on top of it and see that it's actually set inside of a frame, you know. Um,
1: well, I didn't know until we traded oh, yeah. pieces and I could see the back of it. I didn't know how you did that with the wood and then the notched out part. The way it's housed in there.
0: Oh, yeah. It's just like floated inside of a... um... Yeah. Yeah.
1: But then, but looking at that, I don't know if this linear frame, if that works the same way or not. You know, there's kind of a little bit of mystery. It's almost like they just happened. Like, I can't picture them being made. You know what I mean? They just look like they were born to have that extension. You know, But, but in a painting like this, purple one... Did you know that you were going to make that kind of linear frame around it? Yeah. And so so I started that- out
0: knowing like there's like a planning phase um, and it usually entails color mm-hmm. and size and then frame. So because the frames are such an integral part of the painting, like I usually know when I start the painting what the frame's going to be like. Yeah. I may not know exactly what colors, but I have an idea of, like... So I spent a lot of time just thinking about how I wanted the cutouts to be, where I want them to be. Um, And it's kind of intuitive, though, you know? Like, I'm not using any kind of real, like, formula or anything to it. Um, Because I I wanted the thing to remain sort of like the painting itself, you know? Um, And not too rigid.
1: Yeah. Were there artists who incorporated frame in an interesting way to you in more recent history?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, actually, I think Ashley Bickerton does. Oh, yeah, definitely. In a really interesting way. Um, his more recent paintings, you know. Um, but outside of that... Like, I
1: love how... Um, I'm
0: not sure. I love know? how John Wesley paints frames. In right, his paintings well, because he paints the edge of the yeah. painting... As and a, a, he, a he makes bit. it a, he, he frames out the space of yeah. the painting itself yeah um, but just very different though than actually okay. physically putting a frame on it yeah. um, but no you know I, I'm sure there are it could just be that I've just not really come across someone that struck yeah. me as like you know
1: well that's my point it's not a huge like it's I feel like it's an open area of yeah. play
0: you know which is really interesting that more people aren't seemingly I mean, doing that I think that you see people. it a little bit but not often, and usually it's pretty simple, like some sort of lattice or something like that, you know, yeah. very, like, minimal.
1: Like a tray or, like, a shelf that the yeah. painting will rest on right. or something like that, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love those early Joe Bear paintings where she would paint oh, yeah. around the edges, oh, yeah. and they were so thick yeah. and sculptural. Yeah. I cannot get over those paintings. Yeah. Like, I still, to this day, <clears throat> look at those and kind of chuckle, and, like, they, they really make me happy. Just seeing the, the playfulness and, like, that the mixing of sculpture and painting and... Making those paintings when she did, when there weren't a lot of, you know, women artists making, like, avant-garde work like that was really, I think, that was amazing work.
0: Yeah, I think she's great. I mean, the, the, the paintings from that time are really incredible. And it's funny because I feel like there were three shows that had a really big impact on me when I first moved to New York, like, around 2000. And it was, and they were all at Dia in the, at the Chelsea space. And yeah. it was the Joe Bear show, mm-hmm. the Alfred Jensen show, and the Bridget Riley show.
1: I remember all three.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I, I feel like in some ways you could, you, I probably like processed all of those shows or internalized all of those shows, and they are probably very much embedded in in my work today. You know, yeah. um, because there were certain aspects from each show that I just thought were. Um, really interesting and and interesting approaches to um, abstraction yeah
1: i think there's um whenever you see works in your formative year or whatever when you're in transition or when you're in your own work making changes or something and then you see this monumental show that has a big impact on you i think it almost subconsciously has an effect on your work yeah you know like, I talk a lot about an early show that I saw at the Carnegie Museum, which was Van Gogh and, and Japanese prints mm-hmm. in tandem, you know? And I remember seeing it not really getting it, getting it. But, you know, I didn't know much about art at that point. I was really young. But I remember the colors and the flatness of it and then the thickness of Van Gogh. It was just, like, I loved it. It was a show that, like, burned into my mem- visual memory. And I think it had a huge impact. Just like Warhol. Growing up in Pittsburgh, there's a lot of Warhol around. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think about him as Warhol, the artist, and the impact. But I think that kind of work just subconsciously got in there and influenced me and had an effect on me.
0: Yeah, it, you know those Joe Bear paintings that like sit like a radiator, like I an inch that. off the ground. Yeah, those yeah. are so good. I know. They're um, really cool. Yeah.
1: And then she went on to paint like bears in the woods and like animals. Yeah, just
0: changed a lot.
1: Such a huge change. Yeah. <laughs> so. You, not to delve into your youth too much, but you grew up in Jersey. Mm-hmm. But then how did you decide to go out to the West Coast for school?
0: Oh, God. Um, you know, I guess the short answer was, is that I was, I went, did my undergrad at University of Maryland. Uh-huh. And I had one teacher in particular that I really, you know, um, felt... Um, like I could relate to, you know? Yeah. Um, and I had taken a drawing class my, you know, early on and um, really, you know, saw this person as like, oh, this is someone like, I don't know, like, oh, you can be an artist for a living. Like, yeah. you know, he was teaching and showing and um, it, it really was in that moment that it dawned on me because I had very little relationship to um, fine art, you know, prior yeah. to going to college. Like, I I always made things from the time I was probably like four mm-hmm. um, and could draw really well but even in high school like I took an art class my freshman year and mm-hmm. um I just um I found I thought it was boring you know like I didn't yeah. it was like assignments and I just was your teacher boring I was actually like through like marriage related to her oh really? Um, <laughs> yeah so, no, I don't know if she was boring. I just, it wasn't, I don't know if it was her fault or it was just me. You just um, weren't excited I just, it, uh, it wasn't interesting to me, you know? Like, I just felt like the assignments were kind of boring. And so, yes, maybe it was her. Um,
1: but, um... <laughs> no offense to yes. whoever that
0: is. Um, and so then I know my sophomore year, you know, it was an elective taking art. Yeah. I went to public school. And so my sophomore year, um, I could take an art class again. And so, you know, like, the options were, like, art... Type-write, typing. Um, <laughs> the choice know. is clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no! But then there was like this class, modern European history, uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, that sounds like a good class. I'm going to take that class." <laughs> really? You were interested in history in high school? I. You know, it wasn't like I'm really interested no, that's in history, great, but this class just it seemed interesting. Was the teacher? And maybe I was looking for a way to not have to take an art class. Oh yeah, (laughs) I don't know, you know. But the teacher was great. I mean, literally, like the best teacher. Teachers sell it. Yeah, I swear. Like if this guy had been my art teacher, I would have taken art every year in high school. Yeah, you know, I'm convinced of that. And he taught the class like it was a college level class, you know. So he really made you um, approach it in a very serious way. and and he was and you know he really made everyone take notes and we were reading like really like difficult stuff yeah. um, and exposing us to all kinds of interesting things um, so I after that class I just I never took another art class you know in high school at least but it didn't stop me from making art I just did it on my own you yeah. know um, you had it within
1: you but yeah. it wasn't yeah the school setting wasn't right well wait so Marilyn what was the deal? like
0: why'd you go there you know, good question. Picked a school? I, I, yeah. I, pick, I, I mean, I applied to a bunch, of, a bunch of schools, and I wound up going there. And I think uh, one of the things I liked about it was because it wasn't just, um, like, it was a big university, so there were lots of options, because I didn't really know what I wanted to yeah. do. Like, art was not something that I thought I would major in, you know, when I yeah. first got to school. Um, and then I took a drawing class and realized, like, ooh, I do want to major in this. And then took an art history class and then kind of like double majored in in art and art history. The drawing class was the first art class you took. Yeah. Well, uh, in in college at least. Was the teacher good? Yeah, he was See? great. See, that's yeah, I yeah. think that has a huge. And impact. again, like this is this is I could relate to him. You know, I I, I don't I wouldn't say he was a mentor per, per se, but you know, I definitely could relate to him, and he he was a mentor in a certain way. Um, but so. Um, Fast forward to uh, my senior year, I always felt like I was really behind all the other art students because um, I didn't like I wasn't a declared art major from the beginning, so I was a little behind, you know. Um, but once I started making paintings, it was like, oh wow, this is something I really want to do. Yeah. Um, and I started to go to museums and really know, like, learn about art history. And I also Anne Truitt also was teaching at University of Maryland while mm-hmm. I was there and taught like an art appreciation class, and she was great. So I really learned a lot from from her. Um, and um, you know, this one particular teacher that had taught me the drawing class brought up Cal Arts as like this school that I should look into and then told me it was the anti-painting school. Yeah. So I kind of thought like, oh. Which it was. You know, to an I guess if I'm gonna make paintings, maybe I should go to the anti-painting school. And um, I didn't go right to school though. Like I took a year off and worked on my portfolio and then applied to grad schools and got into CalArts and was like, that's where I'm going. I feel like um, so, I've done
1: zero research on this, but I feel like not a lot of people from the East Coast go to West Coast art schools. I think it's a challenge, isn't it's it? It's a mix, right? For sure. Well,
0: I will say this: Did you meet a lot of East the, Coasters when you were there, though? I met people from all over the place, but I would I would say it was more Midwestern yeah. people and Western and, and West people than than East Coast That's people. Long, Although there were people from the East Coast for sure.
1: Yeah, but it's a long
0: ways. But I also feel like it's like you either get into Yale or CalArts, you don't get into both schools. Oh, yeah. There's a real difference between the kinds of people maybe that (laughs) get into CalArts versus the types of artists that get into Yale. Yeah. You know, and I think that's probably, like, historically might just have to do with the process of, like, how they select artists. It's not one's better than the other. It's just different. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, that's how I wound up on the West Coast. And I feel like from day, like, I always wanted to live in L.A., too. Mm-hmm. So I feel like from day one, I was, like, hook, line, and sinker. You loved it. How long, so, long were you out there? Uh, like, four or five years. yeah. Um, and then I had I met my wife at CalArts, Arts, um, and she really wanted to move to New York City. Oh, so
1: you came back still with the fire for the West Coast?
0: Yeah, I was I like really had to be drugged back here. The I did not want to come. Yeah, I, you know, and I didn't realize how much I missed it until like I was here for a couple years. It just was like one of those things where like, you know, you you go somewhere else, and like in your mind, you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm doing this, you yeah. know but then there's still like that that feeling that you're not you don't really think about it. it's like subconscious or something but then I realize later like oh I just really miss being in LA. Yeah. Yeah, I really love LA. I think it's like a great place. It's changed so much since I was I was living there, but um I don't know, there's something about it. There's a different kind of energy, you know? Yeah. And also, I, like, one of the things that was so stark was, like, when I lived in L.A. as a painter, like, nobody really asked you what kind of painting you made. It was sort of like you just, you were, either you were a painter or you were a sculptor or whatever, but immediately from, like, day one that I got here, it was sort of, like, box people up and, like, yeah. this is what you do and label you, you know? And I feel like in L.A. at that time, at least, like, maybe it's changed some, you know? Um, because I don't live there anymore. I'm not really sure... Although I, I think it's still, like, a relatively, like, open space. And painting has so, such a little history there. Yeah. Um, but you were in a painting
1: boom. You were there when painting was really, yeah. it was a scene. Right. Remember well, that I, in article? Wasn't that? That was when you were there, Yeah. Right?
0: Just, totally. Because I was and,
1: hearing about that in school over here, and I had teachers who thought I was somewhat influenced or connected to that because the way I was painting was kind of flat. You know, right. hard yeah, there you're was like, this oh, whole you're just way. trying to be like L.A. painter, and I didn't really, that wasn't it at all, but yeah. that was definitely going on then.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think um, in some ways, like I, I, I felt like the, the person central to that whole resurgence was Laura Owens,, yeah. because she was doing a kind of painting that was, I think, like really kind of daring and different for that time, yeah. and, and it sort of broke all the rules in a way. like it wasn't abstract always and it wasn't always representational it really mixed a lot of different kinds of histories and styles and I think that was kind of like unique and refreshing sometimes the paintings would be you know tiny you know like a foot big and sometimes they would be like 12 foot big you know so I don't know there there was something about that that was like really um, fun to be in LA at that time because there was um, uh, an interest and again like there were very few galleries though like Mm -hmm. The the art scene had just started to pick up because L.A. had, I think, prior to me getting there, had really suffered like a a downturn, yeah. you know. Um, And so there were a a bunch of small galleries, um, which are not so small anymore. They're actually pretty big. Um, And some of the galleries that were there at the time are no longer open. And then there were a lot of artist-run spaces. Yeah, Chinatown and stuff. This is pre-Chinatown. I mean, Chinatown was just starting as I left. Yeah. Um, So, yes, there were galleries that happened towards, like, you know, closer to 2000 when I left than so much in, like, the late, like, 90s, you know.
1: Where Um, was the scene there?
0: Like, where where were the galleries? I mean, that's the thing about LA, like... Spread out? It's so spread out, you know. Um, Like... There were the galleries that were in um, what was called Bergamot Station, which was weird and kind of like a shopping mall. And then they had this thing called, like, Baby Bergamot, which was, like, Mark Fox and Acme. And um, um, then I'm trying to think. There were a couple things, like, on the west side, like, on La Cienega. But there weren't much. I mean, it was spread out. There were some galleries, like, in Hollywood, like, West Hollywood. Mm Um, or Santa Monica, but again, they were like, just one here and there, you know, yeah. um, and there was a couple collective spaces, like, like I said, like Bergamont Station, but um, yeah, there was, it was very different, you know, than it is now. I mean, it's still very spread out. Yeah, well, for New York standards,
1: like, I remember showing out there and being confused about, like, there was a night where a lot of openings happened, and you were probably going to only make a few because right. they were so spread out, yeah. so you had to, like, pick which ones, right. Whereas, like, here you can just pretty much hit it all. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, you know, it's, like, really, like, you can, you can, you're going to go to a neighborhood and see galleries when you're in L.A. You're yeah. not going to see all, like, the shows you can. It's not like going to Chelsea and you can knock off, like, 25 shows yeah. in one afternoon, which I don't think is the best way to look at art. But it's convenient yeah. because if you don't have a lot of time, you can get a lot in.
1: You can squeeze it in. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, now um, it's a little more spread out. Right, for sure, for sure. But still, you're kind of going to like neighborhoods, their pockets, and you can do a bunch of galleries in one shot, you know. Um, But I think the thing I liked about LA was that it was very insular, you know, like you really were like on your island, which was often your car or your, you know, home. Like you could go like months without talking to anyone, so it was like really bad for your social. Um, Space, but really great for your working space. You could really get a lot of work done and be totally focused because there wasn't really any distractions, you know. Like, people often lived, like, I didn't have any friends that lived really close to me, you know. Like, I'd have to drive a minimum of 20 minutes to go visit someone, you know.
1: That's probably why you're pretty comfortable in your current situation, like being a little separated because it's not a big big deal. deal.
0: Yeah, and I think that was the first thing that my wife said was like, oh, it just feels like L.A. here. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it kind of does. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I... But again, I really loved L.A. I think it's, it's a great place. And I think it's a great place as an artist because I think the rules are a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, um, there's... At the time, there was so much... It was so heavy about the art schools in L.A.
1: That was the perception yeah. all the time. I, it might be. still
0: be that to a certain degree. I don't think it's quite like that as much anymore. But yeah. I think like most of the artists that were living there went to school there. Artists weren't really moving there just to live in L.A. Because yeah. it's hard to like kind of connect to anyone because it's such an anti-social environment. You know, like you don't walk anywhere. Yeah, You're never yeah, going to run into someone or meet someone unless it's through a friend of a friend kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas here I felt like it was like a fairly level playing field. Yeah. In the sense that, like, you know, if you came here as an artist, it didn't really matter where you went to school or what you were doing. It was just sort of like, you know, you just oh, that's up. an artist, you know. Yeah. You feel like a real ghost when you first moved to New York, yeah. I feel like, you know, like you go to openings and you don't know anyone and you're just sort of like there but not there, yeah. you know. It's awkward. But i but, and so, you know, when you first move here, you feel like, oh, man, I'm always going to be like this. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, um, it's real intimidating. But then, like, slowly but surely, you start to meet people and you build your own community here. And, like, you know, I feel like I, it, my, my ability to meet artists was, like, a much easier process here than there, you know, yeah. whereas, like, most of the people I knew went to school or I went to school. And I never really felt like it was, like, fair that, like, your social circle would be determined by, like, somebody else because of where you went to school. Like, right. that just seems sort of, like, not so interesting. Kind of clicky. Yeah. It's like, oh, you went to UCLA,
1: yeah, too. Yeah, and what if you don't, don't like anyone you went to school
0: yeah. with? You know, like, you were going to be alone. Like, you're stuck. You know? you're um, stuck. Yeah, and so it would be, like, the CalArts group and the UCLA group. And eventually, I think there would be some, like, uh, trickle over and people started meeting one another within those groups the longer they were there. Whereas I feel like here, like, I just met people from all over the place right away. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. And all different kinds of artists, which I also really liked.
1: Yeah, that's a, a benefit of that condensed kind of area yeah just you're kind of crammed in like if you go out and do a couple things you're gonna bump into the people that everyone else is bumping into it's it's a small world
0: yeah especially like we lived in Williamsburg for like 13 years so yeah
1: it gets really small (laughs) yeah yeah
0: it's like everybody is like you couldn't go outside without meeting someone or seeing someone that you knew yeah which is fine you know but it's like you know it's very different
1: yeah so you ended up coming back here yeah being dragged back on a plane, yeah. probably a, a red eye, so you were sleeping <laughs> through the process. And then, uh, so you moved to Williamsburg and you had a studio where you lived on, on Bedford?
0: Yeah, we lived on Bedford between North 4th and 5th, like right in the thick of it.
1: Yeah, your rent rent there now is probably only a few dollars more than what it used to be when you... <laughs> yeah, crazy. just a little. Next to the Dunkin' Donuts yeah. and Uniqlo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So did you have your studio, was it nearby? Oh, I had a bunch of studios. I had, yes. So my first, I think maybe three years, my studios were in Williamsburg, like walking distance from where I lived. But I quickly got priced out and then wound up going to Bushwick. And so I've had a studio in the same building since I moved to Bushwick, my studio to Bushwick. So yeah, I don't know, it's probably like eight or nine years I've had a studio there. Yeah um, maybe even longer now, maybe 10, 12. Um, but yeah, which, you know, when I first moved to Bushwick, it was just, there weren't very many people there yeah, at that time. Different. I mean, there were artists, but there weren't a ton and they were mostly artists that were on the same boat, people that were getting priced out of Williamsburg, yeah. you know, um, and just kind of feeling like they just weren't willing to pay, you know, more for a studio than their rent, um, for where they lived, you know? Yeah. So and there was lots of space at that time in Bushwick that was pretty cheap. Like, it was, you know, you could get a decent studio and, and, and you know, for a reasonable price at that time. Yeah.
1: Not so much anymore. Nope. Well, there's coffee shops now. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, uh, where did you first start showing? When did you, how did you first start getting your work out there?
0: Um, well,
1: because you, I mean, being from the East Coast, but you left in your formative experiences yes. in maryland and out west in la and right. la was it kind of
0: i knew no one yeah for sure i mean i really like started from the bottom and um that was frustrating you know because again like new york is like you really feel like a ghost i just put myself out there constantly like tried to get studio visits meet as many people as i could and i uh, when I moved here, I, I, I started working on one specific project where I made, like, this 63-foot-long painting mm-hmm. that took three years to make. I mean, I didn't start it saying, like, well oh, I'm just going to work on this thing for three years. Right. And, but it, that's just what happened. And um, it was a great endeavor, you know. It was a great project to work on because um, it really informed, like, everything that I've done. Although I feel like everything I've done since, you know undergrad is like informed kind of what i still do to a certain degree but i wound up um having a studio visit with lauren ross who at mm-hmm. the time was um curator at the at white columns yeah. and then she offered me a white room so i showed that painting in a white room at white columns um Wait,
1: how big was it 63
0: foot Jeez. so i like wrapped around the whole room sort of like f-111 in a way but it was oh, abstract yeah, yeah. um And it was a painting that I made that was meant to sort of adapt to any architectural space, you know? Um, So it was multiple panels that all kind of went together. Yeah. Um, But, you know, right at that time, the art world really switched and it became, like, people really were more interested in figurative painting, which Mm -hmm. was also, like, a kind of a thing that I... was new for me, like, the idea that, like... It was just going to go towards one trend, right. and people weren't interested in doing studio visits that ran galleries because you were making abstraction which was just sort of like a hard thing to wrap your head around. As yeah. an artist, you're kind of like spending a lot of time and really focused on something, and then someone just not even like willing to kind of like come just because it's abstract right. was like a hard thing to kind of like you know.
1: It's like wait, we're not doing this anymore. I was we're like,
0: th- what? Not even going to give it a look. And you know, really, like at a, there was a point where you kind of felt like. I don't. You, you feel like it's never going to turn. Yeah. And I, someone gave me the advice is like the moment you think it's never going to turn is the minute it turns. Yeah. And uh, you know someone who'd been in in New York, an artist who'd been here for a long time is sort of like, you know, I've been here long enough to know that these things come and go, and you'll see. Um, Those and people right. are so
1: important. The cyclical people who've been here through yes. like five cycles, and they're like. <laughs> yeah. Easy. They put things in perspective yeah, yeah, for it, like, Don't you. Don't worry, it's gonna come around. Yeah, like, when and now happens? I feel more like
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> where I'm not so you know um, intimidated by you know trends. market trends yeah. and that kind of stuff. Because you kind of look at it, it's like okay, that's inevitable. But this is what I do, and yeah. so I'll just find people who want to work with me because of what I do, which yeah. sometimes can be hard. But you know, um, and Hudson from Feature had mm. seen that show at White Columns and so I had you know he used to do this thing where you could send um, like open submissions where you could send slides to him so I had been doing that and we sort of started a dialogue um, which took you know was a real process Um, again like I I was in some group shows but I really didn't get another solo show until I showed with him which was several years later Um, so yeah, and then, um, yeah, that's kind of, like, how I started showing here, I guess, in a way, you know. It's, like, really trying to build up, um, a a community and a group of friends that were artists. I will say that I felt in some ways, like, my, like, a very energized moment was after the, the, um, like, when the, when the market had sort of slowed down, like, in 2008, because prior to that, I think artists were like really like, with, had a, had a kind of attitude of like um, everyone was sort of for themselves in a weird way, which I yeah. found like I just disliked a lot. Um, I totally agree
1: with that. I think that was the sentiment. Even if it wasn't overtly, I think sometimes that's unconscious because if the money's flowing, people are selling work and they're doing the thing in the studio, you're just a little less committed to community or something. You just yeah. like, kind of go into your own world right. for a while. Right,
0: know? yeah. Sort of like you know, um, get, get, what's that saying about getting, whether getting's good or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I just think like um, once that crash happened or like the market sort of like went south a little bit, artists sort of found like a new energy to kind of like do some art, artists curated shows. Um, and I had curated a show prior to that of abstraction at um zero smith gallery Mm. um and so this is like before people really started talking about abstraction again um so it was nice that 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 show i feel like happened and people and they gave that opportunity to me but um again like once i there were several group shows that i was in post you know 2008 um And then I really kind of started meeting artists that I still to this day have like an ongoing dialogue with during that time. Yeah. And I think prior to that, I really would like go to artist studios and feel like this energy or this vibe of like, well, what is it that you're gonna do for me? Yeah. Which I found like really kind of like annoying and sort of like disappointing because it's sort of like I just want to have a visit and hear what you're into and what you're doing, but they weren't really that interested in that. And I'm generalizing, but I think it's fair because I've met a lot of artists that were in that mindset. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, some of those people are not even showing anymore. Yeah. You know, so, and I just think, again, like, the longer you're here and the more you're, like, part of this, that's just part of the, 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 the you know, art world.
1: Yeah, I think so. I definitely noticed that, you know, there's, it's kind of like the... That market crash and like the money falling out to where people aren't buying stuff all the time anymore, you know, that is painful to artists because when there's less people investing in, you know, emerging and mid career artists, it's just harder to make rent. You got, you know, the city doesn't slow down as far as the costs. Yeah. So it's a bad thing, you know, that people aren't supporting artists in a way. But the good thing that comes out of it is I've noticed that artists band together. You sort of reconnect with that community and support each other, put on shows promote each other's, and right around then was when social media started really taking off, and people are like, you know, connecting right. and promoting each other's work, and kind of supporting each other, which I think is, you know, positive to come out of uh, a real negative, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I, I, and we're in the business these days of making positives out of very negative situations. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be very important for us, I think, moving forward. I agree. And uh, and really good things can come out of struggle, and out of, you know, it's not fun, but, um, you know, really productive things can come out of, um, you know, difficult times or, like, having to, to scrape together and pull together and, you know. I mean, that's the, the optimistic way to look at it, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, the, pe- the people that are lifers, the people that are doing it, they're just going to find their way to do it, whatever it takes. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think artists struggle, even, even when it's good at times, you know, like I don't yeah. really think like most artists, I think, um, are constantly just finding a way to make a living. And sometimes it's easier than others. Yeah. But I think they're always sort of struggling to a certain degree. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I also think that it's like, you know, at least with like just say abstraction, like I feel like, um, you know, the set, like, the, the, the conversation could focus on a certain type of abstraction, really, like, what it did during this particular recent, like, five or six years, right? Yeah. And then the minute, like, everyone suggests that there's going to be a trend change, like, immediately, like, abstraction is going to be, like, bad or it is negative yeah. or it's going to be, like, the kind of, you it's know. It's played. Yeah, which is ridiculous because the reality is is that there's lots of stuff that people weren't talking about or interested in um, that were, or, or were interested in but weren't getting all the attention that is really interesting and good stuff and mm-hmm. did not get totally absorbed by the market and used and abused. And I think that, you know, for it for it just to be categorized as one thing is kind of ridiculous. It's sort of like saying, you know one group, like like stereotyping one group of something and saying it's all the same when when the reality is we know it's not. Um, so I think um, you know there's always going to be like I think you'll see people that were doing certain kinds of painting that might have been abstraction that will eventually, that will quickly shift to something else but I think that the people that were focused in on what they were doing all along or just keep doing what they're doing and they'll find yeah. an audience for it.
1: It's just market press driven and yeah. the thing is, is in the art world The market is what the market is you know people buy what they buy and that is you know affects what's shown i guess but the press part of it i feel like is so minimal yeah there's not a lot of art press really no and nowadays no one it used to be you know when we were coming out of school a new york times review was a big deal that was like a huge thing now it's like i don't people i don't know people talk about it that much you know as far when they have a show it's like You know the press has been kind of diluted and since there's not that much art press out there I feel like it's it's just a minimal part of the equation
0: yeah I agree I mean I think just the solo show has kind of been diluted too like it doesn't have the value it used to have like I feel like it's important for artists but that's about it yeah you know because it allows us to really put a group of things out as a like a solid kind of like gesture or idea yeah um, but sometimes I feel like we're the only ones that maybe care. Yeah, I know, think so. About be- the solo shows. I mean, I just, and I think the review thing go, is, is, is like kind of connected to that. Like for an artist, a review is important because they see someone say something about their work in print, which lots of people can then, you know, access. Um, so on that level, I think we still find it very important. But certainly it doesn't have like, I think the currency is what you're referring to, like that it used to have.
1: Well, I think that also the rigor isn't there. Like, those articles aren't really as rigorous as they used to be. Well, they have fewer and
0: fewer words to do it.
1: Fewer and fewer words to do it, and then it's just been kind of diluted. It's like, if Pharrell tweeting your painting at an art fair is going to be a huge windfall for your work, and then that happens over and over, and then people who are writing about it start to get influenced by the sort of, you know, the pop side of a cultural digestion of the images... Then it dilutes the the rigor of how, how people are talking about the work. I
0: think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like well, I I
1: don't have time to read you know a you know one thousand word write up on you know abstractions cultural relevance blah 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 you know it's I just want to see a quick picture yeah. and hyper allergic of the top five booths from the art fair and then yeah. you look at those pictures and it's over you know I feel like it's just changing like, that kind of discourse I know that writing is still out there and there's still people who think heavily about things. But I think its value on the work is less important. Like I've, I've talked to collectors who are into certain artists and there are artists who have gotten pumped up from this or that and the work I don't think maybe is, is really, really strong but they're just like, oh yeah, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, everyone's like, you know, tweeting the photo or everyone's posting it and this work's amazing. And, and I'm just, yeah. I feel like it's just, they're just following kind of the popular reaction to things and not like thinking deeply about it.
0: Yeah, they are probably... Absolutely correct. <laughs> That's I think disappointing. It's disappointing. Sadly, I think it's
1: just you know, as a culture, our attention span is shifting because there's so much information, there's so many images, and there's so much going on all the time that it debilitates our our propensity to think deeply about something over time, or you know, or for the attention span of the general public or people at large to to think about things for more than five seconds and move on. You know? Yeah. Which is tough. I mean, we've all done that in a museum where we go see a show and we feel guilty because there's 50 Picassos and we kind of don't spend 20 minutes on each one. But you know they're amazing pieces, you know what I mean? But it's just sometimes there's a lot of it and you just move quickly or you're going to get pooped or get right. hungry for lunch or whatever it is. And I think the attention span of, of, you know, of, of people who are taking these things in is getting shorter and shorter.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think artists still care.
1: You know, like we're sitting here doing this,
0: so like we care. But I think, and I think in the end that, that like it has to be what matters for us, you know, that like we still care and that we're still interested in the dialogue. And um, I mean, I'm sure people are listening to your blog, which means that they're still interested in the dialogue too, you know. And I, so I think it's up to us to sort of continue to make it relevant in the way we see fit or the way we want to do it and the rest of the art world does what they want to do and how they want to do it and we're really never going to have any control over that anyway no um,
1: and we are the most interested because we're doing it. Yeah. We're all the ones sitting there all day and night, like in the studio, thinking and looking and making these things. Yeah. And the rest of the people have all the other things to think about. The canon, history, yep. uh, you know, magazine reviews, who's being, you know, retweeted or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like that's all there, uh, the equation of what they're thinking about. But for us, we're really, at the end of the day, it's, and I think that's why we support each other yeah. is because we want that dialogue. I mean, the best talks about work I have are with when other artists come to my studio. You know what I mean? It's not with you know curators or critics or people like that. It's it's really when I'm talking to other artists about the work. I feel like that's where I go deep. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, maybe because I'm their investment's not, I'm, a
0: little different.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm just not connected to the right people or something. <laughs> but,
0: but you know, I I think that it's also like if if the if there were no market tomorrow or no, everybody stopped buying art you know, um, hypothetically, like, the artist would still be doing it. Of course. I don't, you know, most artists that I know, making a living is obviously very, very important, but I think that um, making art is, like, a really important thing for a lot of the artists I know because I think it's, like, sort of the fabric of, like, who they are and what they do, you know? And I can tell you from my own, like, point of view or perspective, like, when I'm not making art, or I stop for a little while, like I can definitely see like a residual effect, you know, like I really enjoy, it's a combination of things. Like I enjoy like the, the, the being alone and the making of the work, but also just like thinking about putting things together and how, you know, I see this practice as an overall, you know, thing. Um, yeah. In a way, it
1: feeds the rest of your life, you know. Yeah, totally. Like if you go to the studio for five hours and then you walk out of the studio and you go do things, it's different yeah. than before you went in. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know how to describe it. You just see things differently and you experience things in a slightly different way. That if I don't get that studio time, I get this itch. Like it, I start to get irritated. Like yeah. I need that uh, output, or it just bugs me. And most artists, to your point they have crap jobs that they're yeah. doing to pay the bills before, before they're able to spend more time on their work, whether, you know, or, you know, even the artists who, the percentage of artists who actually live off their work, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you, they, if you took those sales away, they would still be making their work. Yeah. find a crappy job to pay the bills. Right. You know, some way yeah. to make it happen and do what they do. Yeah. It's not like they, I mean, I don't know many people who do it to quote-unquote, like,
0: get wealthy or... It's not a lifestyle decision. It's it's just this need to create, you know. But also, I think even that idea is something that's more recent, you know, like that you could be wealthy. Even the idea of that, like when I was in school, like that was so not a reason why I went to grad school, you know. It wasn't even in my like mindset that you could... Because I didn't know even artists that were successful that were wealthy, like you know, I just... Like it just wasn't something that was... But I think because everything's gotten so much more expensive it's almost like a given that you have to be wealthiest artist in order to be like successful because it's so hard just to get by in a city like new york yeah um
1: well that's the fear too of young artists who are about to graduate is like how am i going to go move to the city and pay the rent oh and by the way my college, you know, debt yeah. is like one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars. You know, whereas we went to school is a lot cheaper. Oh yeah. And now I never would have gone the to real world school. hits them yeah. like a ton of bricks. Now.
0: Yeah. You know? I, if 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 I was in if I was a young artist, you know, in the last ten years, I would not have gone to grad school. I just would have bypassed it and I don't know, like probably try to move to a city and work for an artist yeah. or something like that. Would a have residency been like an apprenticeship kind yeah. of idea, you know? Because I just think like going to school. It's just, it's just not conducive to, like... Like, strapping yourself with a ton of debt is just not the way to start off in our career. Yeah. It's like dig <laughs> yourself or a gigantic hole, Yeah, you know?
1: I mean, if someone really needs that time and they need that community, I mean, you can flourish in it, but it is a different commitment. And yeah. you're putting yourself in a certain position these yeah. days. But I, it's like, you know, I went to Skowhegan, and I thought that place was amazing. And I, I would, you know... I, I often tell people, hey, grad school, yeah, or Scowhegan, or a, a residency like that right. can be great because you can meet people. It's not years of your life. Right. And usually it's not that expensive.
0: You know? Right. And I think, don't they give like, money away too if you like? Yeah. yeah.
1: They do. Like you so, can get funding for it. Yeah. You know, so there's alternatives. Yeah. It's just not easy.
0: Yeah. So well, with, Although, you know, it's like there's one Scowhegan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know how many people they take a a summer, but it's not very many. (laughs) So, I mean, it's like everything in the art world, like everyone's just scrambling for the crumbs, trying to kind of like, you know, eat out a living, like no matter what it is. And that's, that's the unfortunate thing, you know, Um, It's that everybody's just trying to, you know, eat from the same plate.
1: Yeah. No, I wonder, you know, if this when the economic downturn happens and things are more expensive and it's harder to like live and have studios, if that's like art world natural selection of thinning down the crop of all these quote unquote artists, you know, you know, cause it is to a certain degree for sure. I mean, I
0: saw it happen last time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I saw it happen from the people that were here. Um, you know, when I first moved to New York and then when the downturn happened, like I would say there's a significant, um, like, um, percentage of artists that I, they just left. I, oh, yeah, I'm not suggesting just, they don't make art anymore, they're just gone. Yeah. Like, they're not part of the art world. Maybe their gallery closed, maybe they didn't have a gallery, and they just kind of were like fed up with like um, the grind. And I just really don't blame them in a way because yeah. I just think it's like, if what you want to do is make art, like, you should find the best way to do that. And then one thing I think, like, in the art world sometimes is like artists, we always let like, other people make the rules for us when it comes to like how we are going to proceed as an artist, you know? And like, I think, you know, it's important to kind of keep on making the rules for yourself and do whatever it is that, you know, you need to do to kind of keep um, the studio practice going. And if that means moving somewhere, then you should move, you know, you should do whatever it is so that you can keep doing what you want to do because being here and not making work or digging yourself into a huge debt to be here is sort of pointless. Like yeah. it's not re- Like I mean, I don't. I, it's not that valuable. It's right. great, but it's not that valuable, you know. But we all know that
1: there's some of those students and some of those young artists who are like artists. Like they're not grinding oh, out yeah, the totally. studio. They don't have that desire. So to oh, yeah. take on that that commitment without the desire, there are so many people who live in just this city who just really want to be showing their work and doing it and they're just working really hard and then there's probably like 20 fold of those people who are like hey man i'm an artist yeah Um, i got a studio with some friends out and you know you know what i mean and those people are the first to go away whenever the the times get tough and you know there's been like talking about those cyclical artists you know the ones who've been around for like a few cycles and they'll tell you that you know, if you're just here, you just keep doing right. your if thing. You stick it out. Just stick it out, and, you know... And I
0: think there's truth out. to that, though. I do, too. I, yeah. I think the, there is something to do with longevity, and I've seen that happen for artists who have been here a long time, and then, you know, just all of a sudden, like, had to ha- you know, started having, like, a real, like, career happening, yeah. you know, later on, and I think that's great, because it's a testament to, like, what we're talking about. And yeah. just, like, really, like, having a practice and being serious and focused... And um, continuing to plug away that eventually, you know, whatever it is, you know, the zeitgeist or whatever, catches up to what yeah. it is that you're doing, you know.
1: It's not easy. No. no. Should, it should be a mandate with the art world, like the 25-year clause. It's like if you <laughs> yeah, deal with this, this to bullshit sell for 25 years, you get some sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. show and <laughs> it's like package. It's, right. like <laughs> it's
0: like the consolation prize. Right?
1: Like you've earned something. Yeah, yeah. Right? At least like a review and something. or right. like, Yeah, some sort of forum. <laughs> Because it's just not, you know, it's it's not for the, the faint at heart. Yeah. So what kind of music are you listening to these days?
0: Oh, you know, that's a good question. Because I kind of listen to a lot of different types of music. And in the studio, I don't really listen to music because I yeah. can't. Like, I just, it's not, I can't be focused enough. Yeah. In the studio. Um,
1: what about the podcast you were listening to? Do you just oh, well, okay, so
0: two things. Like, in the studio, there's... I can't I will listen to podcasts, but I have to be like working in a certain like manner when I'm doing like listening to the podcast because if I'm doing something that I can't have distractions and I don't want to listen to a podcast, whether it's a serial kind of thing, you know, yeah. or I'm listening to a story or whatever, because it's just distracting, like I'll lose my track in like what they're saying and then I'm like, do I have to rewind yeah, Is yeah. that.
1: That's uh, not decision making time. Yeah. Like you can't listen to that while you're making painting
0: decisions. Right. It's so, not an
1: area that you're just you yeah. know what you're doing. And I feel
0: like with music, it's like the, I cannot listen to music at all in the studio because I find it the most distracting. And probably because I like it more than anything else in that way. Yeah. That, like, I just find myself, like, it, my personal history. And my interests get caught up in the listening part and then find it, like, so distracting. Like, I'll go off into a storytelling place in my mind. Yeah. You know, which is not a good place when you're really trying to be focused. Um, And it doesn't take long to get there. It's just like, you know, you have to catch yourself. So, um, but what I found, um, believe it or not, that I can listen to in the studio, which is the easiest, is sports talk radio because it's the most numbing. Yeah, You know, like, it just... I like I pay attention enough to sports to know like what's going on and I have an interest, but I really don't care about what they're saying. Yeah. Overall, you can zoom in, zoom out. Yeah, I can of just zoom yeah. in. Like, I can go one ear or one out, in one ear and out the other. Like it doesn't break my concentration because what they're saying isn't really that important to yeah. me.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it doesn't really have much value, but it's just like kind of having like a kind of background noise on so that. I can stay really focused because yeah. I feel like the background noises help me like get more focused.
1: And it turns off the, yes, the white the noise the mind part. <laughs> the white the white noise yes. talk in your own brain. Yeah, the storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> Baseball was good for that for me. Yeah. Like after nine eleven I was watching news so much and then I hit a point where it's like, I cannot watch news anymore and I would turn on Yankee games and it just they just happen in yeah. the background. Every once in a while someone gets a home run you could turn and watch, but it was the perfect kind of non committal right. you know, television that I could yeah. put on.
0: But, you know, like, I don't, so my, I have, like, a a weird history of music, because I feel like I've listened to all kinds of music over the years, and my tastes have stayed the same, but they've grown, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I've become more inclusive over the years, and that, like, goes back to probably, like, when I, like, first maybe started, like, listening to music Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, you know? Like, listening to, like, um, I mean, initially, I would say, like, the first kind of music that I really got into was, like, heavy metal music. Yeah. Like, the first concert I ever went to was, like, a Dio concert. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like I was, like, at this right age where, like, there was, like, a lot of really good heavy metal. So I, like, went to, like, a bunch of concerts at a time when, like, because I had this friend. The first concert I think I went to was The Firm.
1: That's Do you remember cool. that band? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, because it was,
0: like, oh Jimmy Page. Like, I could go see Jimmy Page, yeah. Yeah, like, playing concerts. Which was pretty cool because he did like this insane, like, you know, 40 minute guitar solo Mm -hmm. with the violin bow and the double neck guitar. You know, it was like pretty great. Um, And I was like in seventh grade or something, you know? Yeah. And so I had this friend who had an older sister and he was also like really into like heavy metal. I wouldn't say classic rock, I would just say like really like got into heavy metal, you know? So like we went to go see like Iron Maiden and um, Judas Priest and Dio and. I mean, there were so many good albums being made. If you're into that kind of music, I feel like that was, like, a great moment. Um, oh, it was for, the renaissance of yeah. that. Like, and I, the renaissance of album art. <laughs> true. The and, you know, the, the, the shows were, like, much more theatrical. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, like, they were really, like... It wasn't just guys standing on stage. There was always so much going on, you No, know? the Iron Maiden ones, I never went to them, but didn't they like, Eddie would show up yeah, yeah, and, totally. like, do all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, it was, like, another character in the band. Um... So, and then I even think, like, I, I remember bands like Motley Crue opening up for those bands, yeah. too. Like, I feel like that was roughly around the time that, like, Shout of the Devil came out. And so, like, these bands who later became big were kind of, like, small bands like Dokken and yeah. Motley Crue. And I went to, like, a lot of that stuff. But then, you know, I mean, I never stopped listening to heavy metal music, but it definitely is, like, one of those things where I, like, later, um, I guess like my taste started changing you know or they again they became more inclusive because like i listened to like suicidal tendencies too after that yeah. or like a lot of rap music like early on like early rap music you know like epmd and public um enemy. who else like big, enemy. big daddy kane who's that public enemy public enemy yeah um Remember I mean, anthrax did that crossover yeah that, was, yeah, that was yeah, was much later.
1: Yeah, what you know, there was <laughs> just trying to like fuse yeah, yeah. the two. I mean, yeah,
0: and I, I guess you know maybe like Aerosmith like started that with Run DMC, Run DMC yeah, which is like kind of weird, but um.
1: it was good though. That's a pretty good.
0: I mean, I was like when like two very different kinds of music styles yeah. get together and thinking they can like cross you know for whatever reason like, well
1: rick rubin did a lot of yeah. that kind of production which was yeah. great you know like the and like early
0: beastie boys you know yeah. like and then even like throughout that whole time like listen i always liked the beastie boys their punk but, stuff is really good yeah yeah totally yeah and um so yeah then i guess from rap i probably also listen like during that time of listening to like rap music i also listened to a lot of like um skate or bands that were like associated with like skating like
1: the cure the smiths all that well stuff. i was gonna
0: say more like harder stuff like agent orange and oh, you know like minor threat yeah minor threat and like suicidal tendencies those bands but then eventually i think i softened up to like more kind of like i guess um whatever we call that alternative rock kind of yeah. thing you know with like the cure and The smiths and um new order and um Pixies eventually, you know, which guess,
1: ironically, some of those guys are way darker than some of the metal stuff, in yeah, a way. Because the metal yeah. stuff is more theater. Yeah, totally. The Cure so. is like, in the Smiths is like real down. Like it's. it's the Cure is a
0: really good band. Yeah, you know? and it, yeah. it is kind of yeah. dark. But, New um, Order even has like yeah.
1: a kind of dark side to it. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. So I listen to Joy Division too, like, and, you know, weird, yeah. um, um, but yeah, I you know, and then uh, I don't know, I guess. That's the kind of music that kind of stuck with me the most, and then I feel like there was a period where, in some ways, I just, I just stopped like, my music taste stopped. Like I stopped, I I became less focused on music, and so I just sort of would like listen to whatever someone would like give me. I would be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll check that out, and then if I liked it, I'd keep listening to it. If I didn't, I would I would just stop, you know. But I stopped becoming like really focused myself on like you know learning about bands and stuff like that yeah and i even think till this day i don't really do it like i just don't listen to music like i used to you know like i'll listen to lots of jazz music you know we have like a, a decent record collection at home which is like fairly scratched now because of my daughter but like we try to be like really open with her it's like letting her play her own record so she could kind of form like an yeah, opinion yeah. about music you know Um, So it's kind of funny because, like, sometimes her friends will come over and then she'll be like, hey, Ellie, what do you want to listen to? And she'll be like, you want to listen to Squeeze? (laughs) (laughs) And she'll be like, yeah, put on Squeeze, Maribel. Um, (laughs) Which is kind of funny and ironic in a way, you know. It's just like I love the idea that, like, kids are, like, learning about names of bands before they really even care about the music per se, you know. Um, Or that they kind of, like, like... A certain sound, and it, it makes sense to me that she would pick the Squeeze album, you know, to put yeah. on. Um, My son's totally
1: into like classic rock.
0: Oh, that's great! Yeah. Like
1: when he first heard acdc he was just like, "What? Huh? Oh, this? What is yeah. this? You know?" Like he had that look on his face, like. Wow, this is amazing. You know, yeah. there's just something about like the rawness of it that, or this is, connects with them. Yeah. You know, and my he wife still loves jazz and all that other stuff. Yeah, but there's something primal about that kind of rock and
0: roll. I think like, my wife will listen to a lot of like top forty with my daughter, and yeah. so she like will really. She like I mean, she knows way more like top forty music than I do because yeah. I don't really like pay attention to pop forty music. So we'll put on a radio station in the car, and she'll know all the songs. Oh
1: yeah, they know, which it I all. always
0: find just like so comical. Um, but, um, so I have a few apps like on my phone that I'll listen to sometimes like radio stations from like yeah. the night, like that are just like songs from like the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't really have, I don't have any one particular focus in the studio anymore when it comes to music. I kind of feel like if I have an impulse to listen to something or someone sends me something, I'll check it out. And if I like it, I'll just, like, really try to find more of that band or something like that. But other than that, I kind of, like, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, like, I haven't, like, the, I'm trying to think the last live show I saw.
1: These days it's harder. I don't really you yeah, get, older, can't get yeah. out the
0: shows anymore to go see stuff. Um, I mean, I still love Springsteen. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think he's such a good songwriter, I mean, you know, and like, I, it's,
1: yeah. it's illegal you know, if you don't like I mean, that.
0: Park and like The River are such good albums. Yeah. It's like I could put those on at any time, even though it's like you know being from New Jersey is very cliche. I just think it's like really good.
1: So <laughs> you're a huge so. Bon Jovi fan as well, right?
0: No, I don't like Bon Jovi. No, no, I never liked. I just
1: kind of like to uh, pop. I don't know. I saw Bon Jovi with Cinderella
0: and Striper, I think, which is pretty. Isn't Striper like the Christian band? Yeah, they threw yeah. Bibles
1: out, like black and gold <laughs> Bibles, whenever they played. It was pretty. awesome Whatever gets you going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they brought the Lord with them on tour. Yeah. Which I'm sure was hard in those days. <laughs> it's probably a pretty wild yeah. scene. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems like a little
1: counter. So what are you working on now? What's after this? What's next? Um for
0: Well, I just started working on new gestural paintings. Mm-hmm. So I feel like for me, like that's kind of where I go. Like I'll with this show, I made the gestural paintings first mm-hmm. and then I focused on the hard edge paintings. And so I'm making some smaller hard edge paintings, but I started making like starting the, the gestural paintings now and kind of working on some ideas for for frames um, and a couple things coming up but um, yeah I think like you know for me like i I pushed really hard to get this show done yeah um, because we had like this crazy scheduling conflict that happened with my wife and I so it was sort of like one of those things where I really had to like um, work like double time to get the show finished mm-hmm. um, And so I really needed, like, I feel like I took, like, three weeks off and did, like, no painting at all um, because I really just needed to kind of not and, like, just sort of empty my mind of, like, you know, like, the workspace in Mm -hmm. a way. Um, So then I could kind of re collect and you know i was already i was doing stuff but not really like making focused on like making paintings just kind of like gathering information and yeah. kind of thinking about what i wanted to do next what i like from this show what i'd like to focus on in terms of like you know future paintings um so i'm kind of in that process now of like just going back into like the grind of it um and getting some work done
1: the kind of post-show research and development that no one understands unless you're an artist like yeah. what the hell are you doing? It's really Just hard. staring at the wall for like a week, and yeah. it's like, well, you need to, you need to think.
0: And it's also really hard, like, because you don't know until you put work up in a space. Often, like, like that process is so different. Like, you really can like start to see like what you really want to want to focus on, or what part you really like are thinking like would be like a good direction for. Um, the next paintings um, and I often kind of am constantly like crossing between the two spaces so having them up is like always like really beneficial
1: yeah to some I mean, degree it helps you think about the next step and yeah. like how you're gonna yeah push forward and yeah. do what you do I think it's important I remember taking having a couple of shows where I was working on work as I'm showing it and I felt like I didn't take that proper time off to like think about and digest what I just did
0: yeah I think sometimes you can't right because yeah, you're just you're like so there's busy. deadlines I have to get it done and sometimes you feel like really torn by that right because you're kind yeah. of like you have to go a little bit on automatic or autopilot just to kind of like cross sometimes deadlines or something I don't mean like with the work I just mean with like um, you know like things just kind of melt into one another so yeah. you kind of have to get it done and you, it's hard you can't get that separation time um, but then I think when you get to separation time, it really allows for like maybe just one thing to kind of like jump to the surface.
1: Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thanks so much, man. It was great. To yeah. Know. I'm so glad we were able to do this here at the show because it's, it's nice to be in the middle of all this work. And um, I'll put a lot of images up on the site for okay. this. But um, people can check out your work at 11R. Yeah. Right. And right.
0: then do you have your own website? Or? Yeah, it's just my name. Okay. Full name Douglas Molini. Sounds good. Um, Yeah, thanks for for doing this with me, Brian. This was long. I love the podcast. Thanks
1: a lot. All right. Take care. See you.